The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International and Music for All. If I could talk to myself at that point in time, I would say you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a winning program. You don't have to get a superior, quote unquote, in every single, you know, ensemble, wind ensemble, jazz programs, the winter guard, all those different types of things. And and don't get me wrong, I don't I, I'm not embarrassed of the fact that I have high standards because I think that's healthy for the programs that I taught and the members I was teaching. When you take those and you transfer them from a well-established program for many, many years to a program that you're getting off the ground, you know, for all intents and purposes, it places a lot of pressure on yourself, on the students, on the parents, on the administration, on the boosters. No one really ever sat down with me and said, you know what, it's okay for the band only grow X amount this year and the band only achieve this this year and so forth. That's Howard Weinstein. And on this podcast, he looks back at the early days of his career and shares three things he wishes he had known. He shares keys to gaining perspective and getting good advice. When you have people in your world and you're intentional about letting those people, not bringing them in, letting them in, right? To be able to have those dialogues and conversations about perspective and growth and different dimensions of what you're dealing with, you're bound to grow faster and you'll make better choices, you know, throughout the whole journey. Members can see the video version of this podcast at marchingartseducation.com. There's a link to that video at the Marching Roundtable, where this podcast is located. Thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. Howard Weinstein on three things he wishes he had known when he started his career on the Marching Roundtable. podcast is sponsored by FJM, Fred J. Miller Incorporated. FJM is the leader in marching arts uniform manufacturing and continues to lead the charge through groundbreaking design, superior service, and over 60 years of industry innovation. The Cesario collection of marching band uniforms is 100% machine washable, includes a limited lifetime warranty, and makes the fitting process a breeze with their adjust-a-cuff and adjust a hem technology. Now is the perfect time to create a new image for your program. Chat with a live FJM representative or schedule your complimentary consultation today at fjminc.com roundtable. That's fjminc.com roundtable. Fred J. Miller Incorporated, family owned and operated since 1960. Hey everybody, it's Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. Welcome to the Marching Roundtable Podcast. I'm here with Howard Weinstein today. How are you, Howard? I'm doing well, doing well. Good to be here with you, Tim. Absolutely. I know you're so busy, and so I appreciate you stopping to have this conversation with me today. Of course, you were a part of a three-podcast series we did honoring Robert W. Smith. Thank you for being a part of that. Yeah, that was an honor to be a part of that, and and, uh, it was a real raw time for us. It was, like I think, right when it happened. Yeah, really uh, soon after. Nice that you did that, though. Very sweet. Yeah, no, it was important. And a number of people contacted me and were like, hey, we need to, you know, we need to talk about this. We need to do this. So I was really, really happy to be able to do that. So, Howard, I think most people know who you are. But just in case, if you give us a quick, quick uh, introduction of who you are for people that are listening. 
Um, okay, uh, my name is Howard Weinstein. I, um, <clears throat> I've been around the marching arts activity, I think, um, forever, it feels like. I yeah. grew up in <laughs> My dad was a uh, uh, professional musician in the military, in the military bands. So he, um, he was a Naval Academy band in Annapolis, and then, well, he was an Airman and Oat in the Air Force Band, and then the Naval Academy, and then the uh, Commodore's Navy Jazz Groups. So I grew up around music, so it was kind of a, assumed that I think I was going to eventually be in it in some way, shape, or form. So uh, so I, I, I grew up in the whole high school band thing and, and did all that type of stuff. Um, I went to college at uh, University of Central Florida in Orlando, um, music education there. Um, that's why I was while I was marching in drum corps. So I was kind of doing both at the same time. I, I uh, you mentioned Robert Smith. So I, I grew up in Sunco Sound Drum Music Corps. That's how I got to know a lot of the people I know in that pageantry arts. Sure. Uh, so I, um, uh, you know, graduated from there. I became a high school band director, and uh, at a young, young age, probably too young. Now that I, as I was making some notes for our call, our our session today. Um, uh, did that for about 10 years, 12, between 10 and 12 years, and then um, ended up programming. Just got out of high school, band directing full-time, programmed for multiple programs, and um, and then eventually um, I, uh, well, two things. One is when I left full-time high school band directing, that's when I went and became a part of the uh, faculty at Tarpon Springs and have been there actually ever since doing that. Um almost 30 years and then i um i uh uh after programming for several years i got back involved in drum drum corps and i um became the program coordinator for the boss crusaders back in 1999 actually uh was that for a couple of years and then took on the director role with the program coordination did that for about nine years and then um, went to the Blue Stars and I was the core director there for three years. Um, and then um, uh, was kind of in and out doing some consulting for the core activity. Uh, went to the Colts, um, did program coordination for them for three years, uh, back out of the activity for a while. And then most recently I've been at the Boston Crusaders for the last couple of years doing uh, student leadership for them. So, um, so yeah, that's that's. I also am involved in real estate. I'm a real estate professional. I own real estate companies um, and um, and title companies and uh, do leadership and training in that as well. So my mom was a real estate agent. My dad was a music music person, and I kind of took both of their professions and and made it into one simultaneously. If that makes sense. So no, um, it's very see, cool. That's that's kind of my background. If that, yeah. No, you know. I love it. That's great. And so that, what's interesting about that, if you laid that all out, is, okay, we all know these super high caliber um, experiences and programs you've been working with to such a high level. And then, of course, you have this other experience, too, all this, all these skills that you're bringing to the table, um, leadership, the, the business stuff. It's all very, very interesting. So I, I'm so happy that I'm going to get to ask you because I think that this series that I'm doing about three things I wish I had known when early on when I first started all this stuff. So for you, I'm sure that could be a lot of things. I'm assuming it was kind of hard to narrow down to three. Oh, yeah, there was plenty. <laughs> well, I, I know we, we could talk forever about all the advice that you would want to give. But really, if you could look back at young Howard and say, OK, I wish I wish that I had known this one thing. What's the first thing that came to your mind? 
So the very first thing that came to my mind as a young uh, music educator was um, I had placed a lot of pressure on myself for, I'll use the word perfection. I don't know if that's the right term to use or the right word to use. Um, you know, I grew up in some really quality programs, Tim, you know, my high school programs, my college programs, my drum corps, you know, I, almost everything I was in, I had great teachers teaching me. I had Robert Smith. I had, you know, Greg Martin. I had, you know, some, some, you know, Jerry Gardner, UCF, I, John Whitney. I had some wonderful, wonderful teachers in my world. And, um, uh, Sydney Berry was, I interned with her at, at like Grandland High School. I just, just great, great people. And so I'm around excellence, you know, winning programs and superiors and, in, in our state, in, in, in the world of Florida Bandmasters and things like that. So naturally, when I went out <clears throat> and took on my own program, I felt like I needed to achieve at that level and achieve very, very, very quickly. And, <clears throat> you know, it's really easy at my age to look back at that age and go, oh, you know, it's, you know, the, you know the, the whole thing of you could have a conversation with yourself at that point in time. And if I could talk to myself at that point in time, I would say you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a winning program. You don't have to get a superior, quote unquote, in every single, you know, ensemble, wind ensemble, jazz programs, the winter guard, all those different types of things. And what I did was, Tim, I took my, and don't get me wrong, I don't, I, I'm not embarrassed of the fact that I had high standards because I think that's healthy for the programs that I taught sure. and the members I was teaching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, when you take those and you transfer them from a well-established program for many, many years to a program that you're getting off the ground, you know, for all intents and purposes, um, it places a lot of pressure on yourself, on the students, on the parents, on the administration, on the boosters. And so I just think that <clears throat> from a visionary standpoint, you know, I went to a lot of people to talk to about, you know, how do you get the band to sound the best in this environment? And how do you, you know, what, what visual choices should I be making when it comes to, you know, costuming, programming, different, all that different type of stuff. Um, and, and that was all well and good. Um, and don't get me wrong, the people that taught me, I still respect to this day and love them with all my heart. But no one really ever sat down with me and said, you know what, it's okay for the band to only grow X amount this year and the band to only achieve this this year and so forth. And so what that did was, and, and, you know, my old high school band director and I, uh, Greg Martin, he's a, he teaches up at Westchester university. Now we always joke about if we could get every kid in our lives and our career and put them in a room at one time, they're not kids now, obviously. Right. And apologize for any mistake we made. <laughs> we this well, yeah, everybody feels that way. It's like you look back at all the things you did wrong or didn't know or or the damage that you did. But the point that I think the bottom line, Howard, is that students always know that what they care about is, is that you care about them. You're there. You're giving 100 percent. I always tell this to anybody. You know, that's what they respond to um, this, right. that they know that you are there giving everything you've got for them. They will follow you to the ends of the earth. What I love about what you're saying is. It's really, this is really, really helpful advice because I think everybody thinks um, I've got to have a program like Tarpon Springs, you know, at the end of my first year at a school it, where, when the reality is, um, you know, that's years and years and years and years in the making with a lot of really talented people. There's a big arc. I had the same conversation with the folks at Avon on podcast 
they mm-hmm. talk about how you know it's like this twenty year growth cycle to get to where the band is now with this the staff super talented people in in a great environment so yeah, the idea that you could understand that there's a there's a cycle to it and a sort of progression without putting that pressure, but I was the same way I mean I was like if I didn't get that superior forget it you know like my it was i wasn't doing my job that really wasn't true no not at all and and, and like i said i put internal pressure on me and don't you know there there was a nucleus of students that grabbed onto that with me and we ran with it and and they were great and they were love love and life sure then there's the whole rest of the program and, right. and one night it's like dude like what are you doing what are you what is the deal? Why are we, you know, why are you pushing us so hard? And, and I think that if I had that knowledge in me at that point in time, Tim, yeah. I probably would have paced at a, at a yeah. different level when yeah. it came to programming and choices and, and different things like that. And it would have been healthier for them and myself uh, as well. And, uh, but yeah, that, that, uh, that was overarching on me all the time for those first several years because yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, I think back, you know, like anybody in any profession, you're like, oh, my God, why did I do that or say that or or this or that? Well, but, but the it, point is, though, Howard, it makes perfect sense to me why you would like you've laid it out. You know, you're you, there's these expectations. You think I have to be there right now and you're going to pull the kids. But what happens and what happened to me is I was pulling them so hard, so fast that I lost some. And I know yes. I look back on my my job and I think, OK, if I had said I want to be here in five years and let me grow the program there and let me bring everybody. I would have done so many things differently, which is of course what you're kind of saying. It's, and it's, and you know what, it's a maturity and seasoning thing. It's funny. You we were talking about Robert Smith and I've got friends that joke with me about this today. Like I remember I'm, I was teaching at a program in Polk County. It was Haines City High School. That was my first band program that I had as, as a, as a director myself. And it, I think it was, I don't remember which year, but we took the band to um, a competition where Robert was going to be judging the band, you know, and I'm like, <clears throat> you know, and I was like going through the program and oh, fine wow. tuning everything, like a contest growing up and like a clarinet squeak or something when I was tuning, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like and all I had in my head was like, Robert's going to see this program and listen. Yeah. Like, it was just, you just, you yeah. just had that pressure. Like I said, those students were like, oh, you know, why and how? So. Yeah, I just think it's it's okay to have a learning curve. It's okay to have a growth pattern. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. You have to have a vision. You have to have goals. You have to have forward motion. And I think a lot of the successes we had with the programs that I was teaching at that time were, in a positive way, a tribute to what we were trying to do. But it's the it's – the, the means don't always justify the ends. If I could, if I could paraphrase that element into one one piece. Yeah, and of course, when you're first out of college, you just you have all these ideas. There's so many things you want to do right now. You want to make your mark. I I totally get everything you're saying, but this is great advice. I love that you brought that up very first thing, because hopefully somebody will hear it and and take a breath, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. give themselves some time to grow along with your kids. So I, I love that. Okay, good. I love it. What's the second one? Um, it, it goes, it's kind of in that same theme. Uh, when I became a high school band director, I was 22, right? So, you know, you're only what, three or four years older than your oldest kids in the program. Yes. yes. You know, the, the parents, it's funny. We joke about this at Tarpon Springs now, because I, I said to Kevin and Janine, I'll be like, it's one thing when we were, you know, not much older than students. And then it's another thing when we're like around the same age as our parents, our band parents, and now we're kind of older than almost all the band. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. At a certain time, we need to get our walkers out and get out of the room. Um, my, my, my point is, is um, you know, so you're 21, 22 years old going into a program like that, starting out, and, uh, you know, you're the, the, all the parents are all, you know, 15, 20 years old. They're all old enough to be your parent, right? Let's just call that what it is. Your administrators are the same way. You know, every, you, you're, you're, you're in a scenario where, you know, you know how when you're that young, you walk down the hall and a teacher is like, where's your hall pass? They think you're, you know, you're a kid. And um, from that standpoint, it's, I, I think I went in on the, not the defensive, because it wasn't much like that, but it was like, I wasn't willing to like always listen to what someone had to say from a seasoning standpoint. You know, when you're, when you're sitting there with a parent and they're talking to you about their child and about what they're trying to express to you, They've already, you know, they're 40, 45 years old at that time. They've had some seasoning in their life. Same thing with administrators. I can tell you to this day, and any time I get a chance, again, if they're still around and they're still functioning and everything else, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, I wish I would have, you know. But I think a lot of times they would get it, like you're talking to a 22-year-old educator. And I think the, the point, Tim, is when you're working with people that have been living twice as long as you have, they've got something to share with you from a seasoning and a maturity and an emotional maturity, um, uh, emotional intelligence standpoint that you're going to learn from. And if you just leave your, keep your mind open and you stay open-minded in the process, whether it's your principal, whether it's the assistant principal, whether it's an arts supervisor, music supervisor, or your booster president or parents, like I, again, you know, don't get me wrong. There were certain, certain, parents that I had like all the respect in the world for and they could tell me anything I was going to listen but I went in very um I'll just use the word defensive that even though I was young I still knew what I was doing now for being that age I felt pretty confident that I can get the band to sound a certain way the band to look a certain way to do all those different things that needed to happen as as a young music educator but I was so young when it came to the emotional intelligence and the emotional maturity part yeah, and there were often times where I would go back to like Sydney Berry, who I students taught with, or Greg, who was my high school band director, or my own parents and and different people. And like, why aren't they understanding X? And they're like, well, because you're not looking at A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. You know that that type of thing. And I just think that um, I'm sure that a lot of kids, because they're kids too, right, have that perspective issue sometimes when you're dealing with that limited. And and I think. You know, when you're making a choice to go into, for me, I went right to high school education. I didn't do middle school or elementary. That was my choice. I think that's that's a risk you run into because you are going to be dealing with parents in that scenario and kids in that scenario, and it's our students, I should say. And it's important that you're able to <clears throat> slow down to keep the perspective of what they're trying to tell you and speak to you about um, and and staying open-minded with that piece because it's yeah. so easy to – to, to push back from that standpoint. Yeah. You know, I've had other people say this very thing to me in a different way. I can't, Howard, multiple times in my life, I've had people say, you know, I never knew as much about everything as I did when I graduated out of college. <laughs> you know, in other words, there's a certain thing that comes up when you're at that age and you want to prove yourself, sort of like we already mentioned, like you kind of feel like you know everything and like, why isn't everybody getting it? You know? And, and of course you're out there to prove yourself. So I think it's really hard at that age when you're, young and you feel like people aren't respecting you because you're so young and the parents look at you. It's hard to stop and like really take that in. So it's, it's a natural thing, but I understand why you're mentioning it. Well, and I think that, um, 
I'm sure you have, you have administrators that have to, that listen to your to your podcast as well and whatnot, and to your your system as well. Like when I've been in when I've been in situations where I've had great administrators that would slow down with me and help me work through that. I could go miles and miles and get yeah. so much done. I would grow, the program would grow. Yeah. Same thing in my roles in um, the TCI community. Um, you know, I, I I compare like a principal in a school to like a board, a president, a, a board president, right? And, uh, the, you know, board of directors president. And um, like when I've had strong board of directors presidents, like I was at Boston Crusaders all those years. <clears throat> and again, I wasn't much older, Tim. I was in my early 30s rather than my early to mid-30s, I guess, rather than my early 20s. Um, but like, you know, Dan Greer was uh, my board president the majority of the time I was there. And he had the courage to pick up the phone and be like, uh, you're not making the right decision here. Let's talk this through. And I'd go, oh, okay, what do we think? And have that conversation. And I think that when you have people in your in your world and you're intentional about letting those people, not bringing them in, letting them in, right? To be able to have those dialogues and conversations about um, perspective and um, uh, growth and um, uh, different dimensions of what you're dealing with, you're, you're, you're bound to grow faster and you'll, you'll make better choices throughout, throughout, the, throughout the whole trip, you know, throughout the whole journey. Yeah. And part of that is, as you said, that administrator or that person who's going to have that experience that's trying to help you, they have to understand who they're dealing with. You know, we're talking about how were we when we first got out of college and what, what were, what were our issues and what were we trying to prove and all. But I, and I think you're right. I think if you have a great administrator or, or supervisor or whoever who understands that and can, and also I know is on my side, um, you know, has built that rapport with me. Yeah. That's really key having that, that right person. I feel like a lot of people don't have the right, don't have somebody they can call and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Help, you know? Right. Right. Well, and, and it's interesting enough, kind of full circle is, um, and a lot of the programs that I work with now, um, you know, it's funny, like I kind of consider myself a culture keeper, if you will, in some ways, because in, in, in a lot of ways, if I see something like that happening, I'm, I, I, you know, what I would tell you, and I probably should have told you this right in the beginning of our session, like where I've, you know, I've taken courses and I have degrees and I have all these different things and I, you know, have years of teaching experience and da 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 da. da. But what I feel in my heart, the the biggest validation I have in order to work with faculty, teachers, student leaders, people, training, design, all that kind of stuff, is I've made almost every mistake um, that they have made or will make. And, and I use that as my biggest platform for teaching and, and experiencing. So when I can have those conversations, whether it be in the core environment, winter ensemble, band, band world, um, yeah. you know, it, it, I come to the table with, like, not only my heart, but with the bumps and bruises of what I might have done in my past and say, look, dude, like I've been down that road. Here's why you want to go down this road. You know, you know exactly. what I mean? And, uh, and like you said, I don't know that I all, I mean, in certain scenarios, as I pointed out, I had great people um, yeah. that were able to help me through that or people, groups of people, you know, but when, when, when we started in the tar when Kevin started the program at Tarpon Springs, <clears throat> we had a principal there uh, named John Nicely, who was there the first 10 years we were teaching the school. And, he was that North Star in so many ways with this direction that, you know, just very grounded leadership. 
Um, and I and I think that, you know, I know what I'm talking about has a lot of the same theme to it, but it's something that I'm so resonant about and so passionate about because I just want to see people not make a lot of those same mistakes. And I love that you said that because, Howard, I've, I've had the great privilege over the last, what, 10, 12 years doing the podcasts and webinars and things that I've had conversations with, like, really, really successful people, right? Which, of course, you're in that category. But, I mean, when I'm sitting here talking to somebody like Scott Chandler of the Blue Devils or, you know, like people that have been at the upper echelon super successful, the thing that is so amazing is that they say that exact thing. Like there's, there, the ego's not all there. Like what they say is, oh man, I'm happy to talk to you because if I can help anybody not make some of the mistakes I made, I've heard those people. And these are people like that have made all the mistakes, but also made huge successes. So I think that there's something about reaching a certain level of accept of, of success and sort of perspective on life and the activity that, that you can come around to that. Let me help you. Let me share whatever I can. You know, there, there's, there's never anybody that's like, Oh, I'm not going to tell you how I did such a, they all will say, I'm happy to tell you anything I can. Cause I don't want everybody to mess up and make all those mistakes. I, I love that you used that phrase. It's, I think it's the balance of the ego, right? Because you know, it takes a certain amount of ego to be successful in a lot of the entities that yes. we all participate in. Yes, yes. But it also takes a lot of um, being able to put the ego back in your pocket in order to be humble enough to go, yeah. okay, what could I have done different? Or right. how could I have done differently? Or what did you see? Or, you know, I, and I, when my student teaching, uh, when I'm teaching student leadership, I use the word blind spots a lot. Like, do you know your blind spots and do you have an inner circle of people and this is, you know, student leaders, drum majors, guard captains and whatnot. And this is band directors and, and, and instructors and whatnot as well. Do you have yeah. enough people in your inner circle that you have mutual trust in each other that you can sit down with them and go, okay, what, what would you have done differently? Or how would you have done that yeah. differently? Yeah. Or how, I'm sorry, more so, what should I have done differently? And what you watched and how you witnessed how I handled teaching that or how I spoke about that or how that came across. It's almost, Tim, like, um, self, um, self-evaluation. And, and we talk a lot about self-mastery in education. And that's the piece, like, we, you know how someone will say, what are your greatest strengths? And what are your greatest weaknesses or opportunities for growth? And then my third question is, is what are your greatest opportunities for growth that you don't even know about? And what is your system to find out what they are? And, and again, these are all check boxes, or I should say check points that I was missing yeah. like the whole first decade of my teaching career. Um, that if I had that to go back on, Oh my goodness. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm happy with the route, but there are certain things, bumps and bruises that I would not have if I had that, those pieces in place. Right. And what's so great is here you are helping others not do that, right? Helping people fill in those blanks that you wish you had filled in. You know, you said blind spots. I wrote down I think there's just what you're sort of saying the way I always think of it is um, I like your term better, but sort of like there's, there comes a point where you learn enough that you realize all the stuff you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's one of the problems in our world right now. There's a lot of people that learn just enough to think they know way more than they do. But I think when you get to a certain level of success and experience, you realize, oh, there's a lot I don't know. And that's where that humility comes in and really makes it work. That's where you get that balance. Without a doubt, and, and, and what, you, what I have found is some of the most grounded leaders, you know, you know, I work with Kevin Ford at Tarpon Springs. He's been the band director there 30 years. 
we often have conversations about, you know, he'll ask me, what did you see or what did you hear? Or what, what, what would be different? I work with Chris Holland at the Boston Crusaders, such a grounded leader. It's just, you know, yeah. and we'll just go aside of the drum corps and I'll be like, okay, what are you feeling? What are you seeing? What, what kind of vibe are you getting? What, what kind of culture are you seeing? And, and slowing down to have those conversations. And uh, some of the best, most grounded leaders that I've been around in the activity, um, in our patchy arts activity, are just exceptional with staying in curiosity, open-minded. You know, I had that experience with Brad Falano at Blue Stars. I had that experience with, with Vicky McFarland at the Colts. Yeah. Like, just grounded, yeah. um, very, very um, um, open-minded and staying in curiosity when it comes to what could be going different here and what are you seeing instead of, I've got all the answers and yeah. nothing can be different. Right. You know what I mean? And what's so happening? Right. And what's so great about what you said is realizing that stopping, you know, what you just said, stopping and, and taking a breath and saying, okay, let's check in, you know, what are you feeling? Are things on track? Realizing that stopping to do that is not a waste of time, but actually is so, so helpful to stop and reflect for a minute. Because in our activity, like it never stops. I worry about people these days, like they're just go, 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 go year round at this point. So I feel like knowing, having the wisdom, all these people you just described to stop and have that conversation. Let's stop for a minute and like, let's check in. You know, I love that you just described that. That is incredibly good advice for anybody. I love it. Yeah. All right. Great, great, great. I mean, these are, you've hit two home runs so far. What's the third thing you came to the table with? The third one um, is it, it kind of ties into what we've been discussing um, it is slow down and stay in curiosity. Um, uh, it's got to do with velocity. It's got to do with staying open-minded in situations. Um, you know, uh, I have found that humans are, um, human beings in general are judging machines, right? They just, they go into judgment very quick in a situation with a person, in a scenario, whatever that is. And then we're quick to react instead of slowing down to respond. And, <clears throat> If I had no, you know, if I had just gone slower, and that's really hard for me. You can uh, ask anybody I've worked with in the entire activity, like Howard goes fast. He needs to fast. Let's go fast. And my my tolerance, and 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 I slip back in that all the time now. You know, my tolerance is is low. I want things to happen quickly, uh, quick turnaround, quick communication, quick response to email, quick response to phone calls. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and. Um, and sometimes that's not always the best thing. Sometimes, you know, putting putting thought thought process out there and then letting it simmer, or evaluating something and letting people uh, stew on it a little bit or simmer on a little bit and then responding. Um, things don't have to happen like that. Uh, you know, um, I've been very blessed because I've been in situations and scenarios where we've been able to get some really good success at a very quick level. Um, and from a time standpoint, um, uh, you know, groups in the finals and groups achieving well, uh, you know, Bands of America and Drunk Corps National, WGI, all these different things. However, again, sometimes the, the uh, means don't always justify the end. And are there a lot of bumps and bruises and things because of the velocity that we're moving at? Might success take a little bit longer if we go slower? Yeah is the foundation stronger as you're moving forward better by moving slower? 
yeah, I mean, you build a house in a day, it may not stand up. You build that house over a period of time, it's going to have a much better foundation. So I just think sometimes, and, and my, my personality is very in, inherently quick, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And uh, I, I, the best advice, um, Tim, I can give in this particular area is, in, is intentional behavior. And so with me, my, my inherent personality style is quick, 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 quick. And I have to be like, slow down, slow down in the process, slow down in what I'm doing. So, you know, when I'm, you know, we, uh, I teach, like I said, I teach the uh, leadership at the Boston Crusaders and we do before spring training, we just do a couple of days with just the leadership, the student leaders. And I'll just stand in front of them. And I'll go, I'm intentionally having to slow my speech down and be very intentional with what we're doing because one of my blind spots was that I went so fast that half the room didn't even know what I was doing or where I was going. And I, in my mind, I was like, let's go. And half the room's like, dude, I don't, I don't know where you went. <laughs> so I just think figuratively and, and, and intangibly both and literally slowing down the process, I think you're gonna see more success because uh, you're gonna keep more people engaged. People are gonna be more patient with you. I also think that the um, not judging so quick and be really seeing curiosity in something, you might uncover something about a scenario or a situation that may not have come to um, the surface for you to be able to handle and work, work with because you were going so fast, you just didn't even see it was there. So my, my best advice from this scenario would be to slow it down. That's fantastic. I took a moment to respond. <laughs> because, and I tell you what, I've learned that is really true. Um, I relish conversations with friends that have spaces in them now. You know, like I have certain friends who um, I know that they're just being, they're thinking about what I just said. And there's this silence on the line. And I've gotten to the point where I really, really value that because, um, you know, then I know that they're not just thinking of the next thing they're going to say. But they're actually listening and they know me and they're analyzing it. I think that, that I found great value in that. Um, I know creatively for me, going slower is very helpful. Like I tell people all the time, give me all your ideas. Let me put them in here in the noggin, right? But then I know that that's going to come. That's going to, the ideas are going to come from that, you know, walking the dog or two days later, they're just going to spit out while I'm baking a cake or something. That So I've learned to value some deliberate pace in the creative world. I mean, I love when the ideas come fast and I can jot them all down and get excited. But anyway, I, I think that's great advice. And it's so funny because all of this is about sort of the whole theme of this whole conversation seems to be, we're so excited to go out there and make our mark and do it and make things better and make a, you know, have fun creating. And, and it's very, it's very hard to stop and do these things like stop and take advice and stop and check in about, am I on the right track? And let me mull this over for a minute. That can be hard. And I, I, I appreciate you being so honest and um, candid about the struggle you had with that because you, I know you were a bull in a China shop going at it, making a difference and things were happening that were really good. So it would be really hard to, to slow that horse down. You know, something that I'm very passionate about is um, uh, like, like when the time period where I was um, director of Boston Crusaders and um, you know, we had a, a great, a great span of time there. Um, 
year year one for me there, we we really made strides. It was a f- group's first year in finals, and then the second year the group was in fifth place. And and two years before that, they were in like fifteenth. So it was like very quantum leap growth. And um, then going into year three there, we we uh, um, dropped four places from like fifth to ninth a- around that category. And uh, but more importantly, there was a lot of internal strife among the membership and the organization because everyone had such expectations. And I was not a good leader during that because I had a hard time handling what was happening. And I, I the reason I'm telling you this specific story is because, um, like I mentioned, um, I work with Dan and Melissa Greer there, who are two of my dearest friends and two of the greatest leaders in the world. And um, I almost um, we almost parted ways after that season because it was just such a horrible experience with um, forward motion growth, not placement wise, but the experience everyone was having. And you know, we sat down together and and slowed down and brought all of our emotional maturity. Or I had to work to bring my emotional maturity to the table and came up with a visionary plan of how to move the organization forward in a positive way when it came to leadership, functionality, communication and everything else. Anyway, I won't go into all the details, but the next year, the core was right back up in the top five. The kids had a wonderful experience, and I was with the organization another five, six, seven years, or however many more years I was there. Um, And I tell you that example because it was a situation where we stopped motion, had a conversation, looked at a visionary plan, put things in place, had people in the right sweet spots, and then moved forward. Mm -hmm. And it was... uh, an incredible story after that. So yeah. I, again, I didn't get so specific about a scenario in an organization, but it came to mind while we were talking because it's so um, material to, you know, so relevant to what we're speaking about. Yeah. And I love that you shared that because I remember watching the core through those years. I mean, we all were leaning in, wow, what's going on at Boston? Like I remember that show, those shows very well. So thank you for giving that specific Example, I think that's very, very helpful. You know, the thing that people ask me the most about over the last 12 years is how do I build that culture? I get that question the most. You know, why is that group doing what, what is, what's going on there? How did they build that culture of excellence and expectation and everything? And that's really what you're talking about is, is you had to stop and say, wait a minute, something's off about the culture and the way we're doing things and the way we're treating each other and the way, like, and you figured it out calmly and intelligently and then you like fixed those things i'm sort of extrapolating that from what you just said but that's such a great example because if you keep that culture how are we treating each other you know how are we how are we running rehearsals what's our context for the whole season and what our goals are if you have those things in place that foundation is so strong as you said earlier about the building that house that everything else then is going to be able to build from there so <clears throat> that's something, again, if you're going hundred miles an hour and wanting to make your, your space that you don't always stop and say, wait a minute, this is, I can't build this culture in 10 minutes. Well, and the thing about culture, uh, remember I mentioned that I'm a leader in two different worlds in music education and in real estate and my real estate world, I'm a part of a company called Keller Williams. Um, uh, and we teach a lot about leadership in an organization. And it's amazing how much those things parallel. And um, one of the great leaders in that organization is a woman named Mo Anderson. She's an f- incredible leader. And I, her definition of culture is my favorite one. And her definition is culture is defined as the predetermined way we agree to treat each other. And that would be in the best of situations and the worst of situations. And I think that if that's established, 
you know, it's like, I joke with the drunk work kids because it's like, hey, we'll be on a Zoom doing leadership stuff and it's we're all in our houses and nice, comfortable, air-conditioned, comfy, cozy. What about in July in Texas when we're about to pass out because it's 130 <laughs> degrees? you you got to remember culture at a much higher level then than you do in March on a Zoom. So, it's, it's you know, it, it kind of runs parallel with that. So I think that um, in any of the organizations that I have the honor of being a part of, how we build culture is determining how we're going to handle things when the going gets tough so that we already, it's almost like a covenant, if you will, with each other that, okay, remember what we talked about. If this happens, we're going to go in this direction. That takes more, you know, there's like a logic emotion meter, Tim, and that keeps people more on that logic side of the meter and getting way too over to the emotion side of the meter. And that helps bring a balance to where that's concerned. Yeah. I had somebody describe that same thing to me recently in a really, it's sort of the same way, but they were talking about, they established that, concept with their students, young students, you know, like, okay, this is how we're going to treat each other. You know, like sort of what you're saying, like, this is the premise is no matter what's going on, we're going to treat each other with, you know, this kindness, respect, whatever. And then they said, what was so simple was if somebody, if somebody got really off and they started acting out, whatever they said, all they had to do was go up to that student and say, okay, we had, we all agreed that our core thing was treating each other with kindness and respect. Are, you know, is that happening right now? And they said that every time, because of that established baseline, that the student would go, "Oh yeah, no, I'm I, I, I'm not doing that," and then it would resolve the problem. You know, and that to me is amazing when you talk about how volatile and crazy kids can be. You know, like that, that if you give them that basic premise that you've just described. And then you just refer to it. Oh, now, all right. Are we, are we there? Are, are you, are you treating your fellow trumpets like that right now? Oh, no, I'm not. And that solves it. Boom. Like that to me was the, was the greatest idea of managing students through culture building. I loved that. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it comes from um, treating every student like they're a leader, even an incoming yeah. freshman. Yeah. Like, that's our, that's, that was what Kevin set up at Tarpon a long time ago, and that's why we have a leadership conservatory for the arts there, because when the freshmen walk in the door, they're taught a leadership class from semester one, day one. And, and I think that they hold on to that and, and know that, okay, we're speaking to you as a leader, not just the band president, not just the drum major, not just the guard captain and so forth. It's, it's the whole program, and I think that comes into play with what you were just referring to because, yes, there's an understanding of what and an agreement of what culture should be in the program, and being a leader in the program, that way it isn't just the trumpet section leader or just the you know, color guard captain or whatever working to push that through. Everyone's on the, same, on the same page with that, and I think that's how you can build culture in a program um, much more effectively. Right. And what that does, of course, and what you guys at Tarpon and Kevin and the whole thing you just described, what's so amazing about that and that everybody is doing in, in their own way is, you know, our job is to build these citizens that go out into the world. And, you know, we all know that that happens, like the experiences we had in our music and in whatever we're doing, we set them up to help the world be a better place and to be successful. And like, there's no doubt that that's true. I mean, all of those students are going to take that training and use it, whether they're a dentist or uh, you know, at the grocery store or anywhere. I love, I love that. And we all know that's important, but sometimes we're like, how does that happen? You know, here it is, everybody. We just described it. Howard, you're such an impressive guy. I, I loved this conversation. I loved how honest you were. And these are, these are great, great 
things that I'm very happy to get to share. What would you want to say in closing, anything to sort of wrap this up or what would you like to say as we're finishing the conversation? Um, I think that uh, I would say that I talked a little bit a while ago about your inner circle, as far as the people that are in it. Um, you know, we tend to, you know how they always teach you, you know, you, you usually function, behave, make the same amount of money as whatever, as the four or five people you hang around the most. Um, I, I would just suggest to anybody listening, make sure that your inner circle has people in it that are, are given permission to be very transparent and honest with you. Um, it might be hard at that moment to hear what's being said or what's being discussed, yet in the long run, um, it's going to be what's best for you as far as forward motion growth. So be really intentional with who, who the people you're hanging with the most as far as you're getting information from, getting evaluation from, getting um, analysis from. And I think that you'll find that your growth can be exponentially uh, much broader. You know, having enough of an ego to know that you don't want yes men around you, but you want people that we're going to be having honest conversations with you. As you've said before, find out all the things you don't know and grow from there. Howard, what a wonderful conversation. Thank you again for taking time to talk with me today. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate it. This podcast is one in a series of 10 podcast conversations where very successful educators and designers share advice they wish they had known when they started their career. These podcasts are full of wonderful ideas you can use right away. Just put the words three things into our search bar to find more. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, Fred J. Miller Incorporated, found at fjminc.com slash roundtable. This is your host, Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. Find out more about me and the services I offer at beastofthemarchingarts.com. And find out more about my paranormally-themed bed and breakfast, The Phantom History House, at phantomhistoryhouse.com. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should sponsor podcasts at the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach. And with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast.